Father, there is absolutely nothing that compares to what we have in you. And we pray, Lord, that you would very graciously continue to teach us and call us out to be more like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. We commit to listen to what you have to say, what's on your heart for us today. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I make two apologies um, just as I start? The first one is to say sorry that I'm here again. I wasn't expecting uh, to be here so soon after last time. So apologies for that. But I'm delighted that Adrian's getting a Sunday off because his holidays didn't go great uh, this last or this year. And the other apology is that even though last week Adrian was doing the 10th commandment and you're probably thinking, yes, this, the series is over. Um, he forgot to do number nine, so I'm doing that. Well, he didn't forget. I just chose to do number nine. Uh, so sorry about that. Today is actually the last in the series. Uh, I also thought I'd bring this. Um, it's my, it's my um, sin book. Uh, for those who were here a couple of weeks ago with Adrian's, um, I'm just saying, that's mine. <laughs> or maybe it's the index to my sin books. Yes, Adrian confuses me at times. I, I had a dream, you know, after watching that service. And uh, the dream was that I'd died and gone to heaven. And I was met at the gates by St. Peter. And St. Peter um, said, okay, I'm going to take you for a tour of heaven. Um, So it wouldn't take that long. So he showed me around everywhere the harp store was made, where the harps were also manufactured and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I said, what's behind that door? He said, oh, that's our clock door. And I said, what do you mean? He said, nobody's really that interested in it. He says, but... Come here, I'll show you. And he opened the door, and I saw a huge corridor, just with doors after doors off it. And he said, I said, what do you mean clock tower? Or clock uh, corridor? And he says, well, here. And he opened up the first door, and just all around the four walls were, were clocks. And they only had one hand. And the hands were all going at different kind of speed. He said, basically, this is where we record the sins of everybody. And uh, I looked up and I saw my name, Brian, there, and it was still, because I was in heaven, uh, not moved. I looked around and saw Paul Jardines, and it was going faster than I imagined it would. Jeffries <laughs> uh, was just perfectly in beat and was just <laughs> consistent. Uh, and then I said, where's Adrian's? He said, ah, oh, we use his in the kitchens as a fan. <clears throat> No. Okay, the ninth commandment. Let's put up the first screen. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's what it says. That's the old version, the old English that it's written in. Uh, And it said it's the final uh, sermon in the series of the commandments. 
I hope, um, quite seriously though, that you find it helpful to re-engage with the Ten Commandments, to break free from maybe a childhood understanding what the commandments were. My, my daughter, um, who is a, a primary school teacher and is starting uh, this week in Strandtown uh, Primary School, um, she told me that, she tried to teach me this last night and I couldn't learn it, but there's a ten, a kind of a action thing to the commandments uh, about obeying your mum and dad and do not covet and all that. I couldn't get it. But it was all shortened to that form that we now know quite, a, quite well of trying to shorten and make really simple the Ten Commandments. And it's a, it's a very childlike way that very often we um, have learned about the Ten Commandments and hope this series has broadened our thinking and opened up our minds to how we should really look at the Ten Commandments, not least um, this one today. Very often it's um, summarized to this form here. You shall not lie. The Ninth Commandment, you shall not lie. And I ask the question, really, is it ever okay to lie? Is it ever okay to lie? It's an interesting question, and it'd be interesting if we had time to find out what your answers are and to have a vote, whether or not it's ever okay to lie. If the commandment says, thou shalt not lie, is it ever okay to lie? Let me try to illustrate. What you have here is a shape. Now, can you, and you're allowed to shout out this time, how would you describe that shape? A circle? Blue, round, anything else? No scientists? A, ja a Japanese flag with a blue circle rather than the red. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Anything else? A square with a hole in it. Excellent. One more. I say no scientists? Mathematicians? Do you remember? I don't. I was just give someone clever. Okay, so it's a circle, basically. Now here's another shape. Can you describe that to me? Sorry? An ellipse? No? Ellipse, sorry. Yeah? Anything else? A squashed circle? Okay. Another one? Shh. It's an, it's an oval. So, so we have a circle and we have, a, <laughs> we have a, uh, an oval and they're two different descriptions. Would it be a lie to say that actually those two things are the same thing? Would that be a lie to say actually the oval is exactly the same thing as the circle? That would be a lie. You're in front of us, the next slide. A rugby ball. If you look at the rugby ball like that, all you'll see is a circle. If you look at a rugby ball like that, it's an oval. So the truth is, both those shapes are the same thing. It's all down to perspective. It's all down to how you see something, or the bits of something that you remember to see. And we sometimes think that truth is an absolute thing. 
that um, there's, uh, there's no grey, it's either black and white, there's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, but actually that's not necessarily true. We miss some things, or we have a perspective on a whole lot of different things. And therefore, to say do not lie, or to talk about even truth, is not as easy as it seems. Because I think there is one truth for one person, and there's another truth for another person. It's all how we see it. And that's just the reality. I, I don't know if you're the same as me, mad, um, but I have a, an interest in looking at American politics for my sins. And uh, I'm fascinated at the moment with the whole Trump arrest, uh, along with the 18 others. And it's fascinating to get a glimpse into humanity by looking at the scenario. We have 19 people all arrested because people said that they lied, that they tried to overturn the election, and the 19 people said, no, they didn't. They were just practicing their civil liberties of free speech and so on. Um, and in the middle of it, there's truth of some sort, somewhere, held by somebody. But there's going to be billions of dollars spent and the pressure on not only the jurors but the whole legal teams where one will try to say we're telling the truth and others are saying no we're telling the truth and there'll be a jury in the middle who're going to have to decide what is the truth imagine being a juror who maybe for years going to have to give up their whole lives in order to be part of this whole circus. Unbelievable. Did you ever see such an ugly, ugly mugshot? Did you see it so Anyway, truth is something that isn't obviously clear. For instance, is it okay to say, um, I'm going to keep a secret? Uh, my son Nathan is going to have a secret party and we need to get him to keep free the 29th of September but we're not going to tell him why. We're all going to lie to his face and we're all going to make up stories in order to keep the party secret. Is that sin? It's a lie. But is it sin? And sometimes, you know, as Christians we look at the Bible, and we have a very superficial view on it, don't we? Where we try to say it's always wrong to lie. That's what the Bible says, it's wrong to lie. And yet life, in all its complexity, makes some things like that difficult to grasp. Is there such a thing as a wee white lie? I don't know. And yet we lie all the time. Who has said to their children over the summer, we don't have any more crisps left in the cupboard, etc., etc. So if it's so difficult to work out what is a lie, what is truth, then kind of suggest that we come to this commandment from a different angle. We look at it differently. 
because out of necessity, there's another way to think about lies and truth. I was saying that my daughter is starting her, she, she's been uh, qualified for four years, and this is her fourth school that she's going into. Um, uh, so she knows something about children and, and the things of schools and different schools. Uh, but there was a teacher once who uh, was attacked by a parent. And yes, parents can attack teachers. Um, isn't that right? Yeah. Um, and there's a teacher come in appalled by what her daughter had said that went on in primary three of the primary school. And the teacher was so awful. And the, the principal in her wisdom said, well, why don't you go and have a word with the your daughter's teacher? Uh, and she went and um, she, she made the accusation uh, and the teacher was able to say, listen, that didn't happen at all. And then she wrote a little letter home via whatever happens now in schools and how you talk and communicate with parents uh, online. And she says, I promise, or sorry, if you promise not to believe everything your child says about my classroom, then I will promise not to believe everything your child says about what goes on at home. <laughs> Very clever thought. So lies, they're a funny old thing, or truth is a funny old thing, I think. Or else we try to come up with a form of words where we think we're being very clever and we're not really saying a lie, we're not really saying the truth, but we feel that we've um, created this form of words where we can say, I don't think I've broken the ninth commandment. Because we think that God is really, really interested in us being clever about how to use words. If that's the way we think all the time about our faith and the Bible and being truthful to the word of God, that God is really looking uh, with a, a marker to catch us out on making mistakes, then I think, and I hope we've learned by now with these commandments, that is not the way God views it. And that's not why I think we've been given the Ten Commandments. So, let's look at this again. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Or let's look at it in uh, another version, the Amplified Version, that says, you shall not testify falsely, that is, lie, withhold, or manipulate the truth against your neighbor or any person. How we speak is what's really at the bottom of this commandment. How we speak about other people and to other people. It's all about community and relationships and dealing with the emotional status of other people. With our words and with our tongues, we can tear down or build up. And whenever the Bible says, do not or you shall not testify falsely against somebody else, that's what it's about. That's the real heart of the matter. And it's important that we get this because, next slide, the truth is that God is truth. Fundamentally, we need to understand as much as we can the nature of God and until we die, 
we will never fully understand that or perceive the true nature and full nature of God. But one thing we do know, because the Bible says it, is that God is truth. He's true in his nature and he's true in his word. The Bible says that. In Psalm 86, we read that truth he is true to his word. In Psalm 119, we say that he's true to his character. And in John 17, he says that he is true to his nature. So everything about God, everything of who God is, is truth. Perfect truth. Complete truth. No discussion. Absolute truth. And because God is truth, then we as people have to understand that part of God's nature and understand that we see what's important to God as being important to us. Truth is an important thing. So how do we do it? How do we fight lies and embrace truth? Well, I think there are three characteristics. And I suggest that the first one might be, remember the power of the tongue. We live in an age where there's truth decay. There's certainly tooth decay. I'm still waiting for an implant uh, right in the middle of my mouth. So apologies for that as well. Do my McFetridge impersonation. Um, <clears throat> but there's certainly truth decay. We, we can see that all around us all the time and Dare I say it, we may even be tempted to share in that decay as well from time to time. And we need to understand and remember the power of the tongue. In other words, we need to examine our own hearts, our own lives, before we think much about anybody else. And we need to be aware of what our heart is like. We read in James that the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You probably have heard of Aesop's fables, and in once he was asked, what is the most powerful thing in the world? The tongue, he answered. And what is the most harmful thing in the world? And again he answered, the tongue. And we need to remember the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue can wreck, but as well as build up. The power of the tongue can make people's credibility go down the plug hole. The power of the tongue can force resignations, career-ending decisions, and a whole lot of other things. The tongue is a very powerful thing. And sometimes we can laugh at it and think it's a bit of a joke, and it is sometimes, but we must get to the point where we look at ourselves and, and ask, as far as I'm concerned, do I take seriously enough the power, the negative power of the tongue? Next point or characteristic. Remember the cost of lying. Remember the cost of lying. 
Abraham Lincoln, get my glasses on. Abraham Lincoln said, You have to have such a good memory to be a good liar. Because very often, people are caught out in their lies by not remembering what they said in the first place. We need to remember the cost of lying. It's an exhausting way to live. It's very difficult to be a good liar and get away with it. We'll very often be caught out. So we need to remember the cost of lying and the power of lying. And the third characteristic is to understand the whole place of gossip. What is gossip? Remember the, uh, the commandment? False testimony against somebody else. Gossip is hearing something we like about someone that we don't like. Not fair enough? And no matter who we are, I suggest that we have all gossiped. How many times have you gone into a group of people or friends there, tell me the goss. Have you no juicy stories? That's juicy. And gossip is something where we try to get a wee tidbit of information and we will use that to spread it to other people. Do we still think we're not gossipers? Have we ever said, I shouldn't really tell you this, but... Or, they're a great person, but... If only you knew what I knew. Tell me, what is it? I want to know. And some gossip we think is just fun chat, not that serious. But we read in scripture that is forbidden. Why is it that we are so eager to get a bit of information? You know, one of the biggest magazines for sale is, well, what do you think? Okay. And what's the other one? But death, there's okay and there's hello. Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> um, okay and hello. Yeah. And what are they? Tittle-tattle gossips. And we think we're really interested in the beautiful photographs contained in here. No, we're not. We want to know a bit of gossip. And we have this craving, I think, as human beings, that we don't want to be left out. We don't mind if the truth gets in the way of a good story. We just want to hear a bit of gossip. Because we think we have one over somebody else in looking at gossip. We need to learn to shun gossip. And it's more than that. It's more than just saying, um, it's more than just saying, I don't like gossip. I'm not going to be a gossiper. Sometimes you need to be active and challenge it. So when someone comes and said, I shouldn't really tell you this, but it's up to us to then break in. Well, then please don't. I'm not interested. Or if someone comes and begins to talk about someone else, it's up to us to say, listen, I'm very uncomfortable talking about someone who's not here. I really wish you didn't. And we need to be active in not going on with other people who may be quite happy to gossip, but in reflection we know that that's not what a child of God is about. 
So there's these three things. Remember the power of the tongue. Remember the cost of lying. And shun gossip. What we're called to be, and the whole reason for giving these Ten Commandments, was so that we would understand what it means to be the people of God. Let's go to the next one. Becoming people of the Word, becoming people of the truth, is the challenge of the Ninth Commandment. And I want to close with three um, ideas or three thoughts. The first one is the challenge to be open. To be open. Are we people that likes to know that we have a secret that maybe only we know about or that we, we feel someone has trusted us with a secret and we feel happy about that? And what being involved with that... Now, like I, I don't want to be too pious. You know, if someone comes and wants to share something with us about something that's personal or, or deeply hurtful or whatever, and they entrust us in sharing that, we have to keep that a secret. That, that goes without saying. But I'm talking about another kind of thing, just knowledge, knowing knowledge. Sometimes uh, I've known people who love being the secret holder. And having that kind of understanding and that knowledge and that information um, gives a sense of power somehow. And the challenge is, let's be open not to be those kind of closed, secretive um, people. And secondly, let's try to be wise. Again, in the scriptures, especially in Proverbs, there's loads of comments and advice about being wise in what we say and how we speak. Be wise when we're on the internet. Be wise when we're on social media and how we present ourselves. I had a girl come to me in a former parish, a teenage girl, mid-teens, and she came, she sat down on the sofa. Um, I always remember, so I keep referencing you, Paul, um, but Paul's dad, Norman, was my rector for many, for many years, and he's a man that I love so much. But um, he had the green sofa. Remember that green sofa in the front room? It was a big five-seater. And when you went in to talk to him, you sat in the middle, and he sat in the chair, and you felt very small. I even felt very small. Um, but you go, and, you go to people, to situations, and you dare to be open with someone and to share with them something. And I remember a, a young teenage girl coming to me and saying, sat down in our equivalent of the green sofa, and she just burst out crying. So I opened the door, called Charlene to let the girl know that Charlene was here and to let Charlene know that uh, there was a girl in the front room and I left the door open. Again, wisdom. And she, she told me about what was going on in terms of um, her friendships. And after a lot of discussion, it came down to the fact that whenever she was making up her profile and talking about herself, she painted this picture of herself that was not the reality. It wasn't really how she knew herself or those closer to her. But she presented this far-out image of what she thought it would be nice to be like. And one thing led to another, and it, it led to a very messy situation. All because 
She was not wise or honest in what she was saying. So on the internet, we need to be careful as well and be wise and think. Think about um, what we're prepared to paint as a picture or how we behave in front of people. We need to learn what it means to be wise, not to be complicated in how we say things or, or build things up. I love Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 5, that says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Nothing more complicated than that. You don't need to prove yourself. You know, don't need to paint a picture to make yourself exciting. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that's so much more simple. If someone expects more from you, tough. Because that's who I am. That's what I am. And the third thing, be an encourager. It is so easy, isn't it, that we say things to hurt. That we say things that are false, but are there to hurt. And when we're angry, or even when we have been hurt ourselves, we want to hit back. We want to tear people down. We want to do all sorts of things with our tongues. That will be far from encouraging. Let's choose instead that our speech will be there to encourage and to build people up. Just to say something without being preachy that will challenge an atmosphere. Um, we had a bit of a family do last night and we had a Chinese. And Donna Cloney, Chinese, we've discovered as our new um, Chinese takeaway. And it's brilliant. Really, really good. But boys, is it busy? So the phone was constantly engaged. So it wasn't able to put the order in. And I went down to put the order in. And when I entered the shop, there were 10 people in this little standing area. Uh, 10 minutes later, I counted 22 people in this Chinese. And you know what happens after? People are squashed, they're tired, they're hungry. Uh, it's taking more than half an hour. Uh, it makes a mockery of quick carryout. Um, and people then started to talk. And there's this um, lovely wee Chinese girl who was trying her best and herself, being polite to everybody. And she um, was taking all the orders and giving it out. And then the phone rang and she always answered the phone and asked people to hold. And on it went. And people were starting to give off. And it got louder and louder. Said, oh, there she goes answering the phone again rather than giving me my Chinese. Um, and started to laugh. And you know what happens when a crowd gets excited? They, they start to build up. I, I sat there in the corner just watching and couldn't believe what was happening. And I thought, if this doesn't get sorted out, there's going to be a war over Chinese. Um, and in the end, I got mine. And going out the door, I couldn't resist it. I turned around and said, people, keep the hope. Your Chinese is coming. Um, and I suppose it could have been punched. But I thought, no, the laugh and the dead. But sometimes it just takes the, the courage to say something that builds people up or diffuses tension, that helps people feel better about themselves 
rather than anything worse about themselves. It is so important that as Christians, if we say that God is a God of hope, that we, if we say that God sees the best in us and makes us out to be the best, if we are really the, the precious children of God, then it's important that our words release that positivity into people's lives. That we make sure that we don't join in with the gossip or, or trying to be nasty or manipulative in our speech, but we realize that we are here to be encouraging. Just one, one of the final stories. Um, I, I read an account of a psychiatrist counselor. Um, and there was a girl that came to him in her late 30s. And he was saying what her story was, that she was in P5. She struggled in school. She struggled to understand things. And she had a particularly awful P5 teacher. Sometimes you get it. Thankfully, not that often, but sometimes you do. And this little girl had got bad test results. And the teacher in that day was in worse form than normal. And she says, what are you doing? These results are terrible. Are you not embarrassed? You're a failure. She says, in fact, come on up the blackboard as it was. And write up, I am a failure on the blackboard. And then the teacher got all the classmates. Said, right, I want you to come up one at a time, grab a bit of chalk, and write on it why you think this girl's a failure. Can you imagine? And the psychiatrist listened to this as the blackboard was filled with words of why this girl was a failure. And she was in tears. And he walked on, or went on and talked to her about life since that moment in school. He said, it's awful. I have no confidence to do anything. I have no confidence to have a relationship. I have no confidence to ever have a child. I have not been able to hold down a job. I don't feel I can do anything. And a whole lot of other things as well. And he says, all because, and you can trace all of that back to your experience of what was said about you by the teacher and by others. He says, yeah, I am a failure, total failure. This psychiatrist was also a Christian. And he said to you, you know, um, there's someone else in that room that day that you weren't able to see. And it was Jesus. And after all the kids had written their words up on the board. Jesus got up and didn't go for the chalk, but went for the eraser. And he rubbed out everything that was written by the class members and by you until the board was clean. Then he went for the chalk. And he, he wrote up on the board, you are loved by me. You know that old sayings, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will not harm me. Biggest lie out. Biggest lie out. And whenever we get angry at somebody, or whenever we say something neg negative about someone, that sticks. And all through my ministry, I have 
spend time with people who are messed up somewhere along their lives because of what was spoken over them on truth. I want to finish, but when I was preparing this and praying, I got a real sense that um, even though it's not strictly to do with the commandment, uh, that I wanted to address something. Um, And that is that maybe you as a person have been aware of how words spoken over you have damaged, damaged you in some way. Words from parents. You'll never be a good homemaker. You'll never be a good husband. You won't know how to love anybody. You're too selfish. You're too thick. You'll never do well at school. How are you ever going to work? All you do is make mistakes. And so it can go on and on and on. Maybe um, you can remember some of those words that have been spoken over you and they still have an effect. And even though you know that Jesus rubbed out all those negative things, it still has a hold on you somewhere. You're not truly free and and it affects your thinking about yourself. So much so that you say those words about yourself. And uh, I just wonder whether someone in church like that today, who has those real thoughts that maybe you've never told anybody, and it's always been your secret, for whatever reason, you haven't wanted to tell anybody. In a moment, I, I want to pray, but I'm going to ask Jeffrey if he could come and just play something quietly. Uh, and I want to read out the words of a song um, that, coming up to my retirement, I heard for the first time, and it really spoke into my situation and the feelings that I was having about myself. And just as the music plays, let us pray and let me read the words of this song. I've heard the accusation and I've heard the propaganda. I've heard the lies they whispered to my soul that I have been forsaken and I'll always be forgotten. No matter what I do, it's not enough. And then I heard a voice as it opened up the heavens reminding me of who I've always been. I am your beloved. You have bought me with your blood and on your hand you've written out my name I am your beloved one the father loves mercy has defeated all my shame there's no accusation or any condemnation when I look into the father's eyes they don't see my sin they only see redemption this is how my heart has been defined. I can hear a voice that is louder than thunder, reminding me of who I've always been. I am your beloved, 
You have bought me with your blood and on your hand. You've written out my name. I am your beloved, one the Father loves. Mercy has defeated all my shame. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. Father, we need to confess to you as we are honest about ourselves that we have been guilty and given in the temptation of using our tongues, of lying falsely against people, of using our tongues to tear people down rather than build them up. And we realize that's not what you want your people to be like. So please help us this week. Whenever we're tempted to listen to gossip or speak, help us to be wise and to be brave enough to say we are not interested. And help us to build people up. Lord, I want to pray for those in church this morning who are conscious of remembering something in their lives where words have torn them down. And that condemnation has gone with them through their years and experiences. Father, you tell us that truth will set us free. And Lord, I pray especially for anybody in church this morning or at home, that your truth of your love and acceptance of them, of how precious you see them, will at long last break those chains that have bound them and give freedom to see themselves not as others have defined them, but as what you think of them and know them to be. Holy Spirit, move amongst us. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for, um, for listening. Uh, can I say, if, if you did feel that um, the Lord is maybe speaking to you about something today, please feel free to, to just mention that on your way out, and we can chat, or I can pray for you at least. Or if you feel more comfortable uh, when Adrian comes back, do make uh, an option to see him and ask him to pray through that with you.